everybody. Uh, welcome to Skype a Scientist Live. Uh, my name is Sarah McAnulty. I run Skype a Scientist. And today we are talking all about antibiotic resistance and specifically how we can look for new antibiotics in our environment. And so we are joined by the fantastic uh, Nicole Broderick, Dr. Nicole Broderick. Uh, she uh, is a professor at Johns Hopkins and was also on my committee when I was in graduate school um, at University of Connecticut. Um, and she's also on our board of directors at Skype a Scientist. So lots of reasons, Nicole is fantastic. Um, this is all part of Antibiotic Resistance Week, which is a nationally celebrated uh, week of awareness to be more aware of how antibiotics are awesome, but also how we have to be super careful about using them so that we don't accidentally create uh, bacteria that can handle whatever we throw at them. And so Nicole will be talking more uh, about that today. So uh, Nicole, thank you so much for joining us. Thank you so much for having me. I'm really excited to be here and talk to you about a very important topic and uh, tell you about stuff that uh, I do with students um, and a big community of scientists to try to understand this issue and, and come up with some solutions. So I have some uh, a few slides that I wanted to present to you. Hopefully that is coming up properly on presenter mode. Looks good. Awesome. So. Um, I'm here as part of World Antibiotic Awareness Week. It's a event that is it's, it's recognized by both the World Health Organization, but in the United States, both uh, the CDC, NIH, and then a lot of other international uh, versions of, the, of things like the disease control are also really important for participating in this and doing local awareness campaigns, but then also things that we can do to understand both the issues better and be um, smart about how we use antibiotics and also just more aware of, of what the, the problems are. Um, I'm part of a group called Tiny Earth, as I mentioned, and it's a course that was started to um, harness uh, students in, in high schools, in colleges and research institutions and community colleges all through the gamut um, to really try to tackle this problem. And, and I'll explain more what we mean by that. So uh, why this is such a pressing issue is because we have, um, and you probably hear about this in the news sometimes, or maybe you've, you've talked about it in different science classes, or maybe you even had uh, a friend or a family member who's, um, or, or you yourself have had one of these uh, uh, antibiotic resistant infections. And that's that we see this rise in the number of bacteria and microbes, um, we might we might hear them called pathogens too, that are, uh, increasingly resistant to the antibiotics that we have to combat them. Um, our uh, discovery of the production of antibiotics and the ability to use microbes in our world to be able to, to take this resource uh, was a huge um, improvement upon our, our health. And it was very important for not only human health, but we use antibiotics in a lot of settings, whether it's for food production, like for taking care of our animals and making sure they don't get infections, or even our crops, we sometimes use them because there can be bacterial pathogens or, or fungal pathogens that can be damaging to them. Um, the problem is, is that while we've seen this increasing rise in the number of antibiotic resistant microbes, we have fewer and fewer new antibiotics that are being identified and that companies and pharmaceutical companies are putting into production. It can be really expensive to, to go find them and to, to do all the work to be able to 
um, get those to um, be able to be used in human uh, in humans or other settings. We have to do a lot of trials to make sure that they're not they don't have off you know don't have harmful effects. Um, and a lot of pharmaceutical companies have uh, done a lot of focus on other important problems. So one of the big ones, for example, is something like COVID, right? So we have this pandemic with this viral infection, and so that's been something where there's been such a massive need that it, you know that's been a big focus. Um, our antibiotic-resistant infections aren't going away, but uh, there's in some cases a little bit less incentive uh, for companies because they don't make a lot of money on them. And unfortunately, a lot of these things can come down to that. But that's where we think students can come in and actually work to help solve this problem. And so the resistant crisis that we have is that we have these few new antibiotics, but more microbes that are resistant to it. So what is the solution? And I'm gonna tell you about a few of them. And one of them in particular, I'm gonna to talk to you about Tiny Earth, which is near and dear to my heart. And the idea when this was first developed by our founder, Dr. Jo Handelsman, was she wanted to, first of all, have a course that would give students real research experiences. It wouldn't be just um, an experiment where we knew what the outcome was gonna be. It would be actual true research that could be done by um, students who maybe weren't even uh, in, in college going to be majors in, in science and, and you know, or math, but just that we're interested and this would be a great way to expose them. And we also know from studies that the sooner students actually get experience with uh, research, um, the more likely they are to actually take those additional courses. So, so you know, it's an exciting thing. It's reasons why I became a scientist, um, this ability to discover new things and, and do something important that has value. Um, and we want to give that experience to, to you, to students. Um, and so this course was started uh, and has grown uh, since 2012. It now includes about 700 instructors um, worldwide. Um, and we figure that about 10,000 students, more than 10,000 students a year are doing this course. So if you think about that, of that number of, of people out there looking for new antibiotics, um, we think that there's a big possibility we'll find something new. Um, we have this in about 27 different countries. We're increasing that number all the time and 47 US states and territories. And so this is why we, uh, what we do. So we focus primarily on soil and there's a number of reasons. One is that actually uh, most of the antibiotics that we commercially use now, so the tetracyclines and things like that um, are derived from microbes, but they're also derived primarily from microbes from soil. And this is, we think, because soil is an extremely rich environment for microbes. There's anywhere from about 10 to the 11th um, soil bacteria per gram of soil, and there can be anywhere from five to 30,000 species. So it's an extremely diverse and abundant source of microbes. Um, it's also something that's right out your back door, right? So I just went out in the backyard. It, it, it turns out to be a beautiful day here in Baltimore. Um, I took advantage of it, just went out, got some soil from my garden. Um, you know, we're really tied to the soil where we live and soils are different um, across the world and they can have different properties that can affect the types of microbes there and the types of things they use. So one of the beauties about soil is that it's easy to obtain. We know a lot of good microbes come from it and microbes that produce um, antibiotics. Um, and so this is showing uh, you know, students out collecting, um, the pointer, students out collecting soil we then bring it into the lab, the soil, and we, uh, if you think about it, 10 to the 11th, that's a really big number. So uh, 10 to the 9th is a billion. So this is even you know, bigger than that. So you know, almost a trillion bacteria. Uh, it can be a lot in there, but even think about it, a million or a billion cells. That's a lot of bacteria. So how do we get them from the soil? What we do is we use special um, 
uh, food for microbes in the lab. This is a petri dish. You may have used one of these in your uh, science courses or just seen them on TV or things like that. Um, and it has nutrients that allow microbes to grow. A lot of the same things that we need, sugar, um, you know, amino acids, uh, those sorts of uh, salts, things that we need for, for growing and, and especially water because um, they also need uh, water to be able to grow. And so basically what we do, so I, I set these up, they've settled a bit. I don't know if you can see them. Maybe I can use my fancy dancy home. I'm not in the lab because of the pandemic. So I'm having to make do with some home, home things, but this gives you a sense. So I'm using a, a syringe actually that I have an extra of that we use for giving my, my little daughter Tylenol, but it has measurements on it. So we can do that because we want to keep that. And so what I did there is I've made um, a dilution series, we call it, going from most concentrated to least concentrated. And so what we're trying to do is get those microbes into solution um, so that we can get them separated from each other, separated from the soil particles. And then we put them onto this uh, media and that allows them to grow. And we spread out that liquid so that we get the cells separated from each other. And ideally, you get to a density of cells where you, you have one cell that then starts dividing. And as it divides, it becomes a macroscopic, what we call a colony. And so here you can see some that, that are not separated, like they're growing into each other. But here we have some nice ones where we can actually see separation. And so what our students then do is they take those different microbes and they patch them um, onto other plates and then they test them against other strains of bacteria to look for antibiotic production. And here's a beautiful example of that. So this is a tester bacteria. So we're trying, this is a bacteria that we wanna see if it is sensitive to antibiotics. And this is a microbe that might be an antibiotic producer. And indeed we have two here that are really robust producers, I would say. One here that is also producing some. Here you can see one that doesn't seem to be producing any antibiotic against, that's active against this tester strain. It might be producing an antibiotic that another microbe is sensitive to, but at least in this case, this one that's being tested, it's not. And then we do other things to try to understand who those microbes are, what are they doing, and work on to other aspects to be able to isolate the chemicals that they're producing, uh, that they're secreting into the media that causes this uh, production. And I see, I think I have a nicer picture of that here. So here you can see we have some good producers. Here's an array of different microbes that we want to be able to test. You can see all the beautiful colors these microbes have. Microbes don't necessarily, like if you think about a tree versus an elephant, they're maybe not necessarily that different. They're usually kind of either like uh, what we call bacillus shaped, rod shaped or circles, you know, spheres. Um, but microbes have excelled in uh, metabolite diversity. So they don't necessarily look physically really different, but they produce all sorts of fascinating things. And you can see that here with just looking at these pigments. And sometimes pigments are actually antibiotics. So this is one reason why a lot of students really, just because also because they're pretty, like to take a lot of pigmented microbes. Um, we then try to understand, uh, isolate this specific one, and then we can do things where we use uh, um, different solvents to be able to extract out those chemicals away from the bacteria and see if we have the active producer. Um, and we do a lot of other characterization. And this is really valuable because it starts to let us then be able to take the chemical part of it and ask, is this something that's the same or different? Um, and so our courses in microbiology and biology are typically doing this first major step. Some of our courses are starting to do things with the chem, oopsie. 
with the chemistry and even the genomics so they can try to understand what genes might be responsible for producing these antibiotics. But we also have a chemical, a chemistry hub that's based at the Wisconsin Institute for Discovery. And that's where classes and students can send in their isolates. And we have a team of scientists there who work on trying to understand these better. Because the goal is, is that we'll start to understand you know, the different genes that might be producing these, the different metabolites they might be producing, and ideally getting to a point where we can identify a new antibiotic. Um, and like I said, we think, um, so one reason that a lot of pharmaceutical companies have stopped this is that when they go out and sample, they find a lot of the same things again. And so they don't wanna put a lot of money into finding tetracycline a hundred times, like every day. And so what we think though, is that if you have 10,000 students doing this or more every semester, or every year, the idea is, is that yes, some of them will find tetracycline again. And actually we want them to because that means our methods work, right? That's a good validation that our methods are working. But more importantly, with that many uh, hands at, at the, you know, doing it, the student sourcing or, or crowdsourcing that we're doing, we, we, you know, we think that we're gonna be coming up with some new antibiotics. And we actually have some that are in analysis and that we think we've identified at least some new um, derivatives or, or new types. So, so this is sort of the exciting thing that we do and our, our students are working on. I don't know, Sarah, if you want me to stop and take a few questions. Let's do some questions. One thing yeah. that I'd like um, to gain some clarification on. So can you go back to the slide where you had those zones of inhibition? Absolutely. Let's awesome. do this one because I so really like this one. With that's this. perfect, that's great. So just to clarify, so like what we're seeing here, each of these grids, you have a different type of bacteria. And then yep. the, the like major kind of gray white that we're seeing kind of all around with the exception of right around those two, that's the bacteria that we're basically trying to kill, right? Yep. And so the way we know if a bacteria that we collected from the wild um, is going to be maybe creating an antibiotic is if we see like a lighter, clearer looking jelly instead of the uh, gray yep. sloth. Yep. So this is called what we call a zone of inhibition. And so in this case, we're using, so the strains of bacteria that we like to use are ones that we know are, are problematic, and, but we use safe relatives. So we don't want someone using an, a multi-resistant microbe. We want them instead using a safe relative. So for example, you may have heard of MRSA, which stands for methicillin resistant staph aureus or staphylococcus aureus. So staphylococcus aureus is a type of bacteria. Um, and it's been a problem because it has developed resistance to a number of, of antibiotics. Um, and so we're really, you know, this, this is one of the bacteria that we're really interested in finding new antibiotics against because of this. And so we wouldn't use Staph aureus in our classrooms, but we use like a, a, a Staphylococcus epidermidis, which if you can understand the epidermis part, it actually is a microbe that lives in our skin, but they're related enough that the types of cellular functions that an antibiotic would target um, allows us to, to, to use that. So we can use a safe one. And so then that's what you'll see. So your student will, will spread that one down and then they'll patch these uh, potential producers. So these are the ones that they've collected from their soil. And what they're looking for are these, what we call zones of inhibition. And so this means that the antibiotic the, the bacteria isolate from the soil as it was growing, started secreting this metabolite, this antibiotic. And as the staphylococcus was growing next to it, it was getting killed. So, so the one thing about how antibiotics work is they often, they're being produced by a microbe as it's growing. 
and microbes are most most sensitive to the antibiotic while they're growing too. Awesome. So we have a question here um, from Patricia. So aren't antibiotics produced by fungi? They are. They can be produced by fungi as well. And the most, the first one we ever, ever just, you know, the first one that was discovered and put into production was from, um, you know, this is the, the classic case of streptomycin. Um, and it, it definitely was from, I mean, I was mistaken, it wasn't streptomycin. Oh my gosh. No, penicillin. it was penicillin. Thank you. I'm not teaching this semester, so I'm a little bit. <laughs> also, we all have but it's totally penicillin. It's penicillin, yeah. and that was produced uh, by a fungi. And so, so yes, antibiotics are also produced by fungi. They're produced by a lot of different types of microbes. Most of the ones we use, though, are actually produced by bacteria. Um, we do have some classrooms that are starting to get interested in working with fungi to see about their production. Um, but one of the uh, Fungi are a little more difficult to work with in some cases. And so we think for most classrooms, it's easier to work with the bacteria, uh, but definitely uh, uh, microbes like fungi are another great source of antibiotics. Awesome, thanks. The next question is from Amara. How fast do bacteria tend to grow? It's really dependent on a number of things like uh, their own growth rate, which can be dictated by um, just their, their physical their, you know, their physical timing, um, but it also can be affected by their nutrients and what they're exposed to. So something like E. coli in the lab that we study a lot, it has a, it has a, what we call a doubling time. Um, so that means it divides into you know, one cell into two cells um, about every 20 minutes. Um, there are some bacteria that can be even faster than that, 15 minutes or so. Then there's some bacteria and some that you may have heard of as being problematic pathogens like mycobacterium to tuberculosis, which actually take you know days to, to divide. So they're you know they're really slow. They can be very slow growing. And um, whether a microbe has a lot of access to nutrients can also affect that. So some bacteria, if they don't have enough food, and this actually happens a lot in the soil, they'll go into basically a dormant state where they won't be growing at all. And then when the nutrients become available, then they suddenly you know if a worm dies nearby then that maybe allows them to, to access that. So it can be really dependent. And actually when we do these assays, that's a great question. Because when we do these assays where you're, you're challenging these two microbes technically to grow you know, against each other, um, you know, if one of them grows too fast, you might not be able to see the effect of the antibiotics. So if the tester strain goes really, really fast, but the producer that you found from the soil grows slow, you might not be able to, it might still be producing antibiotic, but you just can't see it. And so those are some things that actually some of our classrooms have been really interested in, in testing. Mm -hmm. um, and so they've been doing experiments to try to alter, like, you know, if you patch them a few days beforehand, and then you add the different tester strings. But that's, it really is an, an important, you know, aspect to get right as, as to how they're growing. So that's a great question to think about. Awesome. And an assay is basically just like a type of experiment. Yes, thank you. Yes. Um, okay, so in your opinion, this is from Dean, what is the worst bacteria? In my opinion, what is the worst bacteria? You mean in terms of like its impact on human health? Let's or say, like, let's give that as the definition. Or do I have one that I don't like because it's difficult to work with in the lab? No, <laughs> I have a personal issue with this bacteria. Um, there's a lot of, um, 
really, I think there's, you know, there's a lot of really, I think the, for my opinion, the worst bacteria that we have to be afraid of are the ones that are developing resistance to multiple antibiotics. Um, not just a single, but like almost, you know, we have some bacteria that um, can be resistant to like all but some of our last line of antibiotics, antibiotics that we don't give routinely to people because we have to keep them in reserve for being able to do that. I think those are the scariest infections because, um, you know, before uh, Alexander Fleming discovered penicillin um, and we were able to use that for human production uh, and, and for human, improving human health, something as small as getting a cut in your garden uh, could lead to, to death and, and did. Um, and so, you know, it's the scary thing to think about is that we could be returning to something like that if we don't find new antibiotics. Um, and, and there's some predictions that by 2050, uh, deaths worldwide due to antibiotic resistance will be um, the highest, you know, much higher than things like cancer and stuff that we worry about all the time. Um, so I think to me, that's the, the worst bacteria and the ones we have to, to, to think about and, and consider and think about our practices and what we're doing and also what we're trying to discover. Totally. Um, okay, so quick question. Do you have any more slides that you'd like to show us or, uh, and if not, we should minimize it because it'll make Aaron- Exactly, so you can, yes, I wanna do that. So um, I, I think I don't, except that I may at the very end just wanna put up like a closing slide. Great, okay. okay. So I'm good. Oops. We'll I think we've got a lot of questions here from the audience that we can cover. Awesome. Okay. Questions um, are the best part, so. Yes, it is the best part. All right, the next question is, how do you know if the antibiotic will work on a person? Do you have to test it out on a group? Like, how does it go from a thing that you found in the soil that makes it to a pill? Yeah, so that, that's, so one of the things I actually have my students do in the classroom, and one of the things we talk about a lot is the specificity of, of a, an antibiotic, because we have, so what we're really looking for are microbes that are producing metabolites and some of those metabolites or some of those molecules have activity against bacteria. But that doesn't mean they don't have bacteria against other things. And so ways that, that um, I actually have students set up experiments in the lab and, and they get to design their entire experiments is testing on things like um, uh, fruit flies or on, um, um, some fungi that we have that are a good model because uh, fungi are eukaryotic cells. So they're more like our human cells. And that's, it's the first step of being able to say, do these things produce something that only has activity against bacteria or has more broader activity? And those can be important molecules because we need things that for example, can, can have impacts on eukaryotic cells because that's how we find things like cancer treatments or um, micro, you know, um, antibiotics that have activity against fungal pathogens, which are also something that, that um, are a growing concern. Totally. But, um, but that's what we do. So then you might use human cell lines. So test them first against human cells that we have that we can grow in the lab. And we can see that whether or not they have activity against that. And then they move into other uh, animal models. So if you have a candidate that looks really promising um, in terms of its activity, if it looks new, and we can figure that out more molecularly. We can, um, we can kind of, uh, there's databases where we can look at the different molecules in that, mi in that mixture and say, is this something new or is this something we know about? Or, oh, is this something you know, that really looks new and it, looks, it has really interesting activity and this we wanna prioritize. Um, 
And, and those are the things that then would then be moved into these future steps. But eventually they go into clinical trials um, and they get tested in humans to see if they work, if, if people have allergic reactions to them or things like that, which are important to know. So some of you may, you know, you yourself or have family members who have a penicillin allergy is, is one that are sulfa drugs that it gets talked about a lot. And so these are the important things we have to figure out um, before they can get used on humans. Um, and, and the other important thing to consider though is not all of our important antibiotics are ones that we take orally. So there, there can be, um, they can have activity, they can, be, they can be problematic to take by mouth, but they might be perfectly fine to put on your skin. So that if you have like a, a staph infection on your skin, you could treat your skin and because you're not ingesting it, it's it's not necessarily um, a problem. And so um, these are, are you know things that that people do as they're trying to study these. And that's why it takes a while, uh, which is you know this concern where we're thinking out to 2050 is that can, that might seem like a long time, but it's going to take us you know something that a student finds, for example, in in class next week. It, it's years to be able to get that to a point where we can use it. Awesome. Thank you for answering that. That's really cool. Um, Kelly, age eight, wants to know what happens if you're allergic to penicillin? Um, so, I mean, a, a number of, so people can have problems where they, you know, it will cause like an allergic reaction that can be very harmful. Um, other times it can be things where you just have like itchy reactions and it's just unpleasant. Mm -hmm. um, typically that's what happens is people like, they're like, they just feel unwell. They're, they might have breakout with a rash or something like that. And what happens is, is that then that, you know, you need to put that in your medical record and then make sure that if you ever need an antibiotic that uh, you can avoid that type of antibiotic because, uh, we, you know, antibiotics come in different flavors and we call them different classes of molecules. And so it's easy to then, if, if you're allergic to penicillin, to ignore that and say, okay, we can try these other things. It becomes um, less easy as we get to having more and more resistance, uh, but we do still have a pretty decent, um, you know, tool um, toolkit for being able to avoid those things so that you wouldn't, you wouldn't be having to take it. But that's why it's important to, um, if you notice anything weird after taking any sort of, of, of drug to be able to understand and, and know that, okay, I, don't, I, I should not take that again. Right. For sure. And talk to your physician about it. Yep. Yeah. All right. We've got what uh, a question that I don't understand, but you may, um, mm -hmm. you might need to explain to us what this question means. Um, but Khalid wants to know, have you found ESBL producers? ESBL producers. Khalid, can you uh, We'll just say we which... we'll, we'll skip that one. Khalid, if you yeah. want to give us an explanation of what that is, we'll, we'll try to ask it again. Um, that's, but we'll, not... we'll go on to the next one for now, because a lot of these, I know you definitely will know the answer to. Um, so oh, are you, okay, are you meaning ex extended spectrum beta-lactamases? Beta I suppose so. Yeah, that makes sense. Um, I, at this point, I don't know. I mean, we're, we're testing again, we're testing the types of microbes that could produce those things. Um, and we're testing against microbes that could be sensitive to them, but I wouldn't, I wouldn't be able to completely answer that in terms of whether someone has identified something like that. Cool. Um, Patricia wants to know, is there a place where I can find detailed instructions for students to do this project? Uh, so I have a final slide that tells you exactly how to join us. Uh, we have uh, a book that also lays out the protocols and things like that. We train, so I, I myself have trained about 200 instructors to, to do this. 
Um, we're doing virtual trainings right now, obviously, because of everything. Um, Tiny Earth Network, right? Tiny Earth, yeah. And, and uh, so you, if you search Tiny Earth on Google, I think it's tinyearth.wisc.edu. Uh, you can find our site and there's uh, information there. Awesome. Um, Madison would like to know, is there an antibiotic for cancer? Well, they're not really antibiotics per se. Um, they're, they're molecules that microbes produce. So there actually are some cancer treatments that come from, uh, there are some really well-known cases where they've come from um, microbes that live in like um, invertebrates that live in the ocean. Uh, so some bryostatins and things like that that are a very effective cancer agents. What I would say is that um, what we call these when they're produced by microbes, especially is, is metabolites or specific, especially you might see it written as secondary metabolites because they're not the, the main things we think about. They're sort of extra molecules they produce that aren't necessary for sort of like everyday life, but that are important for, that have these additional functions. Um, that's not necessarily the best explanation, but we call so they're metabolites. They're molecules that these organisms produce. And um, it's, so there definitely are some that are so broad that they can have activity against both bacteria and eukaryotes or so, which we are. Um, and so because of that, you can imagine that they could have applications in this at the right, especially if the, what, depending on the concentration you use them at. Totally, awesome. Um, Dean would like to know, have you found an antibiotic that can stop the flu? So that's a great question because it's really important in the context of what, what this week is about, which is also antibiotic stewardship. So antibiotics are not effective against viruses. And so that's why one of the biggest things we can do even more so than trying to find new ones as sort of everyday people is make sure we're using them smartly. So you should not take antibiotics if you have the flu um, because it won't have an impact on viruses. The types of, of cell structures that antibiotics function against, um, we don't have in viruses. And so what you actually can do if you do have a flu or a cold that's also caused by a virus and take antibiotics is that you can cause other microbes that are on your body bacteria to become resistant. And so that's why we really tr try to get people um, to be more uh, smart about their use or, or to pay more attention to how they're using them. Um, now, it is true that sometimes when people have, like with what you may have read about different things like with COVID, where it's causing so much um, congestion in the lungs that people can develop a bacterial pneumonia on top of their viral infection. And then we do have to treat with antibiotics. But to treat for a virus specifically, it, it won't work. And so that's why it's really important that if you are just having a common cold or you have the flu, that you don't go to your doctor and try to get a prescription for an antibiotic. Awesome. Well, thank you for asking that question because it is- It's so a important. super important so, question, yeah. Um, could you explain to us generally how antibiotic resistance happens in the first place? Yes. Um, so. The question about growth is one of the, the, the biggest reasons. Bacteria grow a lot faster than we do and they grow what we call exponentially. So one cell you know, doubles and splits into two and then those two split and you get four and 
so on and so on. So it grows in, in powers of two, if you think about it that way. So you can go from one cell to a million cells in a very short period of time. What happens is, is as bacteria do that, they naturally acquire mutations. So they have a slight change and this might change the, the DNA a bit, or uh, it might cause them to suddenly produce, uh, you know, their, uh, their cell structure to be slightly different or to produce something that can actually deactivate an antibiotic. And those are in a population, you know, even if it's one in a million, normally you're not gonna see anything, but in the presence of an antibiotic, that one survives. And then it suddenly becomes a million itself in a very short period of time. And so that's the big issue is that the bacteria uh, have, so all, all life on earth, you know, when we are, are, when our, our DNA co makes copies of itself, it's not 100% perfect, it makes mistakes. Um, so we always have mutations that happen. Typically, a mutation, you won't see the impact of it, but in the case of when there's suddenly antibiotic pressure, that resistant microbe becomes the, the thing that survives, and then it becomes dominant in the population. What's really interesting is actually, in a lot of cases, microbes that are resistant are, are wimpier. They actually, there's a cost associated with having that resistance. And so, it's, and so if you stop using the antibiotic, they'll actually become less uh, abundant in the population because they, they sometimes don't grow as fast. It takes them longer to, you know, they need more energy to be able to do these things that make them resistant. So if there's no antibiotic pressure, if there's not the selection, they actually will become less abundant. Um, and so in some cases, what some people have, you know, proposed in certain areas is if we stop using antibiotic, usually in a, in a period of time, um, we can actually go back to using it. Um, but the biggest problem we have is every time we start using the antibiotic, we see resistance um, become present in the population of microbes in a, in a very short period of time. But, um, but yeah, so it's, it's that bacteria grow fast. We all have mutations. As long as there's selection, you select for resistant bacteria and then they become the dominant in the population. Right, awesome. Um, Aubrey and Zadie would like to know, how long does it take to develop an antibiotic? So I, I should know this number more specifically, but I think in most cases, the numbers that are given is it can take at least almost 10 years for it to go from initial discovery into where it's being produced in a, you know, where you can get a prescription, go to the pharmacy and get it. It takes a while. Sounds good. It's years, um, at least, as a way to think about it. And it can be, uh, and it can be millions of dollars to be able to do that as well. So it's expensive too. Cool. Um, let's see. So a lot of questions here. So does each antibiotic that we develop, does it act on bacteria in its own way? Or um, like how, how, what is the difference between different types of antibiotics? So they target a lot of different cell functions differently, which is why having these what we call different classes is really important. So some will target um, the, the cell wall of bacteria. So bacteria produce a specific molecule called peptidoglycan, which makes their cell walls uh, uh, rigid and, and helps give them structure. And it's a great target because human cells don't have it. Other animal cells don't have it. And so th that's like the ideal target, something that's in a microbe, but not in a human or an animal cell, right? 
but in a lot of cases, uh, you know, that it, that's that's a limited um, number. So so that's what actually, um, you know, vancomycin. If you've heard about that, that's affecting peptidoglycan. Then they affect other things. They can affect how DNA replicates. They can affect how um, DNA is um, transcribed into messenger RNA, which is what we need for producing genes. Or they can even affect then how that becomes proteins. Um, they can affect metabolite pathways. And so some, we have some examples of really good uh, antibiotics that because they it's a synthetic pathway that a microbe has in it and a, and a human doesn't have. It's a really great target. But we can also play with that in different ways. So they can, in some cases, things like DNA replication is actually really similar across all of life. But there's enough differences that we can uh, target the ones that are specific to bacteria or have greater specificity to bacteria and be able to avoid those that have activity against, um, against microbes. Sounds good. Um, so let's see, um, what kinds of diseases do you mostly want to go to the doctor, uh, to get antibiotics for? So if you have, um, I mean, things like staph infections, if you have, uh, so, so streptococcus can be a problem for like, there's a controversy about whether for ear infections you want to use it, but there are definitely things like if you're having, um, uh, What's the thing with a sore throat? Uh, strep throat. Strep, uh, strep throat, yes, streptococcus. <laughs> um, you know, things like that can, can be really problematic. If, if you have a, you know, any sort of, of infection that's producing, you know, like a bad pus or things like that, you wanna, you know, probably see a doctor about that and have like a topical antibiotic. Um, and then there's other things that we know are, are problematic. So things that can become chronic infections. So microbacterium tuberculosis, if, if people get that and it's in their lungs, that's something that needs to be treated with an antibiotic. Um, uh, so I think, yeah, the biggest ones to think, if you're ever concerned, it's always better to go to a doctor and get checked out. Um, but if, you, if, if all of your symptoms are just like the flu, um, you know, then, then that's a cold no antibiotics, but other things, it's always good to find out from your doctor. Certainly really bad inflammation that's throbbing, that's hot, uh, anything like that, you should definitely get checked out. For sure. Awesome. Thanks. Gage would like to know, how do antibiotics affect your beneficial bacteria that live on our skin and in our gut? Um, he uses the word gut flora, but we know there are lots of different types of bacteria all over us that are super helpful. Yeah. So that's actually what my lab mostly studies. We study the, the gut flora or microbiome or microbiota, you may have been heard it called. Um, and it's something that we know and I think have a growing appreciation for the number of ways that it, it, it keeps us healthy and is really important. Um, and so we know that uh, antibiotics definitely can affect our microbiome. Um, typically that means if we're taking antibiotic, it's because it's more important to treat the infection than the temporary impact it will have on our microbiome. Because what people have been able to show in a lot of cases is that, especially if you are um, an, uh, two years or older, where your microbiome is sort of established what it's gonna look like for the, the rest of your life, um, the exposure to uh, your um, antibiotic might reduce your numbers or change a bit the composition, but most healthy adults can will rebound and it will repopulate normally. 
Um, it can be a problem if, if it's more of an immature microbiome. So in young children, there's concern about that. And so that's another reason why we say, you know, it's important not to take them if you don't need them, uh, because it can both affect the composition and the number of microbiome members, but it also can mean that you have microbes on you that are also becoming more resistant to antibiotics, which in the future makes them, even if they're not causing illness to you, it means that the antibiotics we have will be less effective. Very cool. Um, Jesse would like to know, uh, why is it important to take ex antibiotics exactly as prescribed? Yeah, so a lot of times what you might see is that you're supposed to take it a certain number of times a day and for so many days. So the certain numbers times of day actually gets a bit at the bacterial growth. So if it's a, if it, the pathogen is growing, um, so when they're growing, they're more sensitive. So you might need to, you know, just taking one dose isn't necessarily going to be enough for the antibiotic just to be there present while more pathogens can grow. So we take it at certain times so that you can get another dose, knock back uh, the populations more that might have survived the first dose. Um, and that's also for the, the day, the number of days why we, why we do that. We want to make sure that, you know, you're not reducing and getting rid of most of the bacteria, but there's still some there that we really wanna make sure that if there's an infection where there's bacteria present, um, that we're really getting rid of all of that there. Awesome, for sure. That's looking to be super dangerous. Um, Amara wants to know, so you find a bacterium that is really good at killing something else. And then you send it to the chemistry lab, you pull out this, this chemical, this metabolite that is uh, the thing that kills that other organism. Um, how, is it the same process to figure out if that one individual metabolite is super effective as the bacteria? Like, how do you know that that one thing is the thing that um, is, could be developed into a drug? Yeah, so the way that that's done is initially looking at, so, you know, you, you first have a mixture of different molecules and, or chemicals in that um, uh, that you know, initial extract that you're looking at. And then what you can do is, is that typically the way a chemist or natural products chemists look at this is that based on their, um, their size and the structure of the molecules, they can differentiate them. And then they can start to separate out and test those specific um, molecular entities to identify which is the one that has the biggest impact. And sometimes, um, uh, they can produce many. You can have, you know, three different antibiotics produced by the same bacteria, but it could be that the one that is the most interesting to you is, is a single one, or it might be that actually the way they produce them together gives you, you know, sort of the, the impact that you want. Um, but that's how, how it's typically done. So they kind of separate out by size, um, test the individual ones, and then look for which has the activity that's the, the most desirable. Awesome. That sounds uh, fun. Um, Franklin wants to know, can bacteria lose their resistance to antibiotics? So yes, they can, but it's it, you have to be careful how we think about it. So some resistance is based on pieces of mobile DNA that we call plasmids or even transposons. And so plasmids are a circular piece of DNA that bacteria can take up from the environment. And this is actually a really uh, important way microbes share resistance genes with each other because you don't have to be the same species of microbe to be able to share these in a lot of cases. 
Um, and so if a bacteria would lose that plasmid, which can happen naturally or through some other selection event, then they could lose that resistance. That's actually what happens in the case where I said is if the selection pressure is there, they need to keep it, right? But it costs more energy to replicate that extra piece of DNA. And so if the selection isn't there, you're gonna grow slower if you're that bacteria with that. So you might then uh, you know, want to lose it and get rid of it because you don't need it. And so that can happen. Um, other types of changes, it's not, you know, there are other types of resistance uh, mechanisms that aren't that easy to gain or lose. What happens instead is it's their, their abundance within the population. So you have to think about the, the population of different microbes. And, and so that's how that happens. But, but it can in the case of something like um, if the resistance gene is on mobile DNA. Awesome. Well, we try to keep these sessions to be about 45 minutes and we are coming up to that right now. This has been so awesome. We've had so many wonderful questions. Thank you all for submitting your questions today. Um, and before we wrap up, we always ask everybody the same two questions. The first question is, if you had the attention of everyone in the world and you could tell them one thing about your area of expertise, what would that be? All right, I'm going to do that by also going back to my slide I wanted to share, which is to say, you can have a role in this. You are an important part of, of making this happen, either through participating with something like scientific discovery through a program like Tiny Earth, but also by just the choices that you make and the, and the information that you share with other people. So, you know, be mindful about antibiotics. Don't take them if you don't need them and think about how they're being used in the environment around you and make sure that you tell the people, you know, that you, that you live with and that you interact with that this is an important thing to, to pay attention to. Um, and that by being aware of these things, you can make a difference. And so I am highlighting that, you know, we have World Antibiotic Awareness Week. The CDC has a really great campaign about this, about be smart about antibiotic use. Um, we also have things like World Soil Day coming up, and you can learn more about and actually participate in things that also help um, educate about the importance of things like our soils and, and why keeping them healthy is a really big part of us being able to discover new things like this. Um, so that's, I think, one of the important things that I would have you take away from this. Awesome. That sounds great. And then we also tend to ask uh, if you still have everybody's attention in the world, and you can tell them one thing that has nothing to do with your area of expertise, just just something, it can be as big picture important or silly and insignificant as you'd like. Well, I'm gonna, I'm gonna keep on a microbial thing. So I'm gonna say what we talked about is, is that is ways microbes can be problems, right? So they can be pathogens and we have this concern about antibiotic resistance, but they're part of the solution in this case, right? So the microbes are also where we can go and find uh, antibiotic production. And most of the microbes that we interact with are, are, are beneficial for us. They help us, uh, you know, they make oxygen for the earth. They help us uh, with our, our own physiology as animals, with our microbiome. So don't be afraid of bacteria. Uh, be, be smart about how we think about them, but, but microbes are also fantastic things and you should embrace them. And my favorite microbe is Bacillus thuringiensis. That's awesome. Thank you so much. Uh, <laughs> all right, well, thank you for sharing that. Where can we find you um, on social media? Do you have anything else that you'd like to plug before we wrap up? Um, so yeah, so we're, oops. Um, you can find Tiny Earth, just search for us at Tiny Earth uh, Net. Um, and we're on Instagram, TikTok, 
Uh, we have a lot of stuff going on for World Antibiotic Awareness Week. So you can see some of the really creative things our students do in addition to just making awesome discoveries. Um, and if you're interested in this, uh, we have a website where you can either ask questions or you can fill out an application to join us. We'll be doing virtual trainings uh, for the near future, but um, looking forward to getting back to in-person trainings when it's safe. Awesome. Well, thank you for taking the time to talk with us today. Erin, thank you for signing. Yes, um, thank you, Erin. Thank you for joining us. Um, we will be back here on December 3rd. We're going to be talking with the extremely energetic, extremely uh, animated and entertaining and funny Jada Elcock. She'll be talking to us about uh, marine science broadly. She is an expert in sharks. She's just, I like can't overemphasize. She's awesome. She is <laughs> She's fantastic. So get excited. That's gonna be part of Black and Marine Science Week. Um, and we're pumped, we can't wait. So get excited for that. Mark your calendars. You can always keep up with what we're doing at skypeascientist.com. We also um, are trying to build our Patreon support right now. So if you can afford to, um, you can support us for as little as $3 a month on Skype or on patreon.com slash Skype a scientist. And right now we're doing a little promotion where um, if you sign up as a new patron, we'll send you a little, not necessarily this specific postcard, but we'll send you a cute animal postcard in the mail with um, a squid fact on the back. Um, and we'll send that out like this week, whenever you sign up, we'll send it out the same day. So if you'll do that, that would be so, so important to us to keep us uh, going in strong into 2021. So uh, that's patreon.com slash Skype a scientist. Um, we'll see you all back here in December. Uh, have a healthy holiday season. Um, we'll see you soon. Thank you again, Nicole and Aaron. Bye. Thank you.